Alex Thorne is going to moderate this panel on grid versus off grid. I do want you guys to come up with your stump the Bitcoiner questions because we're going to go deep, far, wide into an uh, area that I'm very, very passionate about, both the on the grid side as well as the off grid side. So give these guys a round of applause. Um, yeah, I'm Alex Thorne. I run Research at Galaxy. We got Tyler Kovalchik, is that right. what I said? From Brains. We got Dan Lawrence from Foreman. Justin Ballard from Martin Legal Group. Uh, we're going to talk about off-grid and on-grid mining. It's basically all mining uh, is one of the two. Um, so I, my thought here was maybe we would discuss each and some pros and cons and differences. There are obviously many. Just to set it off, I think they've both been in the news quite a lot. Obviously, with the uh, rolling blackouts and the un apparently unprecedented winter storm, um, which never happens in winter, uh, right? We hear a lot about energy curtailment. We hear a lot about... You know, the U.S. The U.S. grids are incredibly weak. Um, I grew up in the Northeast. It's like collapsing on an annual basis, the grid there. My mom had rolling blackouts in New Hampshire on Christmas for no apparent reason, like a lack of energy. Um, and so we hear a lot about that story. We hear a lot about it in Texas. So, um, but totally on the other side, so we're going to talk about that and whether that's Bitcoin miners' fault or not. Um, and we're going to talk about off-grid mining. So I think one of the most common and popular, popularly known ways that this happened is the whole story around capturing flare gas that is, um, you know, em emitted or, or flared during the oil drilling process and then converting that uh, with a generator and, and mining Bitcoin on it. That's very, a lot of people know about this, right? And, um, but there's a lot of other weird ones. So off-grid is you're not connected to the grid. Maybe you have your own source of energy. So we'll get into both, but I'll let everyone introduce themselves first. Tyler, um, set us off. Hi, uh, I'm Tyler Kowalczyk, a former self-miner, and now I work for the business development team for Brains in North America. And my background more is working on the grid and connecting miners that way. So I think there's a lot of benefits that can come with that because you can see the curtailment that they can integrate into the actual system in the network of ERCOT and maybe help some of these problems where they can't supply the power in surge cases. But then on the other end, you can see a lot of pros by reducing the methane and some of the flare that's already going into the atmosphere right now. Hello, I'm Dan. I'm uh, the co-founder and CEO of Foreman. Uh, Foreman, real high level, what we do, we're, what we, we started off as minor management. We're kind of recoining something now, calling it facility management. So generally control on the facility, which has stepped a lot into curtailment. So I started off very, very small scale hobby miner. Uh, I love what I do. I get to work with a lot of lot of miners these days, so we get a good amount of exposure to on grid and off grid. So this will be a fun panel. Yeah, I'm Justin Ballard, and uh, I started J Energy a few years ago. Um, left last year and went over to Martin Legal Group. I am also an attorney that doesn't like attorneys, and uh, but I'm working with a bunch of miners, and uh, I'm come from an oil and gas background, and. Really thought I was going to be getting a lot back into oil and gas, but even though uh, we're in a bear market, the activity has really stayed high, and I have done nothing but Bitcoin deals and worked on Bitcoin-related mining issues for the past, like, eight months. So I'm glad to be able to make a living and not have to do any of the oil and gas stuff. Let, let's start with the off-grid then, Justin. Tell us, like, what, right. what are you doing with oil and gas and Bitcoin? Well, um, a lot of what I've been doing still is kind of working with operators, oil and gas operators, to kind of educate them to the mining space and get them to realize that it is okay to sell your gas to Bitcoin miners. Um, a lot of them are still kind of 
on the fence and a, a little, uh, you know, concerned about getting into something. They've seen the price drop, and they when they're selling gas, they want to make sure whoever's off taking that gas is going to be around buying that gas for a long time. They don't want to get in a situation where they're bringing people out and they just disappear the first time, uh, you know, we get into a bear market. So uh, a lot of what I've been doing is that, and then taking those, you know, like I, I've got one going in Alaska that we closed. I can't really talk about the specifics of it, but um, I spent about eight months working on, with the operator to realize that this is a viable option, uh, got the gas purchase agreement done, and then took it to a miner that could execute on the project. So um, a lot of that, but then also a lot of working with uh, groups just on the variety variety of legal issues that pop up and trying to make sure that we uh, don't let the legal issues stand in the way of getting deals done. Things are still moving really fast with a lot of the mining groups. So that, that's what I've been doing a lot of. And is they're selling gas to a miner or are they themselves mining on site? Or uh, there's None of them have committed to mining on site themselves, um, but they all have retained an option to participate at a later date with the miners. And I think that's a big important part of this is keeping them involved, at least at least keeping that an option for them to come in at a later date. So they, they've got gas, they, they have no other buyer is there cause there's no pipe. There's no. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, you got flare gas and that is what everybody kind of thinks about when you think about Bitcoin mining and, and oil and gas companies, but there's a lot of different opportunities in there. You got stranded assets, which isn't necessarily a flare, which is a lot like what we're doing in Alaska. Um, it's a stranded asset as opposed to something that was being flared every day. Um, there's also opportunities that are technically on grid with oil and gas companies. There's so many of them that have midstream facilities um, that they've built out privately owned substations that have, you know, 20 to 30 megawatts of capacity, but they're only using four or five of those. So there's a lot of opportunities within the oil and gas companies' portfolios to to get into mining. It's fascinating. Dan, uh, so we're just going backwards down here. Um, you know, where does this uh, fit in in your in your in your business? Like, are you do like what range of the Bitcoin grid mining grid locale, right on off? Are you are you seeing a lot of? Yeah, I think we see a lot of interest on both on grid and off grid. So the on grid side, we we provide facility management software, and a lot of that has my my day to day. It used to just be talking about how do I reboot miners remotely? How do I you know how do we do a pool change? How do I know when something's online offline? Now I don't think I can go probably ten minutes without saying the word curtailment. So rewind a year, I didn't even know what that meant. Now curtailment is probably my most common word now. Well, what what is curtailment? Explain that to the audience. So there there might be a demand or something like that on the grid. Maybe uh, there's a stress. Maybe some generation went offline, or maybe it's more economic related. Maybe the price of electricity in a certain area went high. So now you might be financially motivated, or maybe the grid is exercising you as kind of an insurance policy for them to say it's time to turn off. So you're ramping down your consumption to either benefit yourself or to benefit the grid, so to kind of give more capacity back to back to the grid, so consumers then have access. That's interesting. So the, it used to, you know, especially if you're off grid, right? The remote management is what, like, first of all, what are they using for internet? Like a like a cell phone to run the thing? Some are LTE. Yeah, yeah. some are over cell phones. We're seeing Starlink getting, wow, getting nice. to be popular. We just met with somebody that was using satellite. So good luck to them. <laughs> um, but you know, some of them also just have straight 
you know, broadband right to that. Right and to the and so like the functions that you were sending, you know, that your software can do is like you said, manage the efficiency, the power, restart them, blah, blah, blah. But you're saying when you say curtailment, have you built in features that like they can plug into energy prices or some like the ener- the grid has an API that tells them now's the time to, and then it automatically turns them down and ramps them up or is that? Yeah. So we do, we do a good amount of automation in this space. Um, we, we integrate with curtailment service providers or CSPs. So if a customer might be participating in demand response, the CSP would send a dispatch to them. We can receive the dispatch and curtail the load. Um, there could also be economic incentives too. So maybe you're riding real-time in ERCOT and you see pricing take off through the roof and you want to try to avoid those peaks. We can automate some of that curtailment too. Uh, Tyler, you, you're, you were an on-grid guy. Um, yeah. That's very different from you know mining on your you know family's hydro plant uh, or 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 a standalone oil rig that you have right. Um, how, how have you looked at it? Yeah, uh, I wasn't really lucky enough to have any in my backyard growing up, so I had to find power alternatively. Now, it does create a sense of centralization because now to mine on your own, it's almost impossible to be a smaller, large, or medium miner to get power on the grid because during the bull market, a lot of these companies kind of burnt that relationship. Lucky, luckily enough, I was able to get in and get one of these smaller contracts. So you really have to have a good relationship with your local provider and make some kind of a deal so you can still be profitable and purchase some of these blocks of power, enter into some of the power agreements that make it necessary. You know, like Steve Barber is one of the main guys that I think should probably talk in here too because he's kind of the background of off-grid mining. But as he says, um, the term fiat, mining on grid for the most part is fiat because for the most part, you're not going to have a profitable power rate. You're making some kind of a deal selling power back and whatnot and using some kind of alternative to actually be profitable with Bitcoin at this rate. Yeah, I was going to mention, I I think that it is actually something that's eventually going to be taken over by utilities. That's kind of what my thought is. And um, and we, we have talked to some utility groups, and one of them in particular in Missouri, um, that's looking at that t- instead of like running peaker plants. It's a much more efficient way to do it. But um, I do think that mining on grid, and I'm sorry, I, I do this a lot. I'm going to start talking, just take it away. But um, I do think that eventually that, that that's the area where the mining on grid is going to, to kind of consolidate. And while being off grid, whether it be stranded gas or just a stranded kind of behind the meter opportunity, whether it be wind, solar, whatever it may be, and you're still buying power off of the grid, but you're you're behind the meter, um, that's going to be where people in the mining space are going to have to really kind of take advantage of the opportunities. And and uh, and I do agree with the, the issues being on grid now. The collateral required to get on grid at this point, especially after what's happened with all the miners, and, and I'm speaking to Texas mainly, but um, it's brutal. You're almost just paying for your blocks of power up front. You, the collateral that's required has gotten so extreme because of the defaults that um, it's very tough to get on if you're not a, a mega player that has the liquidity to actually put put up the cash to get the lock those blocks of power down. Yeah, brutal. Um, you know, I, I don't. I think it's been covered earlier. We talked. There was a risk management panel, so we're not going to go deep into the why the defaults happened or the state maybe of the of the businesses that mine uh, Bitcoin in, in the U.S. But um, I will say that it's. There's a lot of criticism of on-grid mining. I, I don't actually hear much criticism from the from the environmental lobby, for example, about like, you know, flare gas mining or or stranded gas or, or hydro, typically or behind the meter. But it's always about it was so cold in Texas and they had rolling blackouts. Like, how, couldn't like, but 
but yet the miners were were mining. But actually, they weren't a lot of them mining. They, I think they showed this last storm that Bitcoin miners are perhaps the most benign purchaser of electricity there is. Um, you know, able to take up an entire aluminum smelting plant's paid for the build out and usage of a smelting plant's uh, load, but then turn it off like basically at a moment's notice. Whereas you know, aluminum smelting has to like you know wind down for like a whole week, right? And so that's extremely powerful. Have, have you? So I'm with that as my. I've said that part. Is Bitcoin mining uh, bad for the energy grid? No, <laughs> it's, no, not it's at incredible. All. It's it's perfect for it. Right, and. I- yeah, I will. Sorry, I'm just going to say. It. All right. So the reality is, is that in, in Texas, this is where it really shined. Because in 2021, we had Winter Storm Uri come through. There was like 270 people died from it. Um, we lost power. We had constant blackouts, rolling blackouts. And just we nearly lost the grid because of a getting out of balance. And that's what created all the reasons to shut down, uh, to do the rolling blackouts. Warren Buffett came out and he talked all kinds of shit about Bitcoin mining and and the Texas grid, and his proposal was to bring in, build 10 new peaker plants in the state of Texas. Those run for about 2% of the year on average. That's what it is. That All that cost, it was going to be over a billion dollars to build these out. All of that gets passed on to the consumers in Texas, whether it be residential or commercial. Those folks, that, and, and that's coming from a guy who then complains about the demand response payments going to miners for shutting down and curtailing, but he's not even factoring in the revenue that is generated for the utilities while they're while they're mining, right? So um, there is somebody mentioned it earlier. They don't argue in good faith. I think it was Marty. They don't. All the arguments against it, to me, in my in my opinion, um, granted, that's not worth a whole lot. Hey, but, you're a lawyer, right? Right. That's right. Well, I'm. Mean, it's, it's a member of the court. It? Right I don't here. know. <laughs> I mean, if anybody paid a lot enough money, they can get it too. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I think I do not see it as a negative on the on grid at all. I just think that realistically, for a long term uh, sustainability of like Bitcoin mining on grid, it's going to be taken over by the utility. Right. That's well, they because then for them it's behind the meter, right? It's for them it's a revenue generator and it's a lot more efficient and cheaper than having to go operate a peaker plant. And that was what started the conversation with the Missouri, Missouri utility group was virtually the the peaker plant issue. Yeah, the incredible thing about Bitcoin mining is it's got an incredibly interesting load profile. So it can turn on and turn off very, very quick. So uh, if if you're unfamiliar with the grid, um, it's all about demand and supply. And generally, they have to match. If you have too much, it's bad for the grid. If you have too little, you get blackouts, rolling blackouts, grid shuts down, which is generally what happened when that storm hit. There was generation dried up. Things froze, demand was high, supply was low, things start to shut down. The interesting thing with Bitcoin mining is now you have this consumer that is always going to want to buy. So now if you're a producer, you have a reason to generate excess. You can't have excess running around the grid, but if you have somebody that's there and will take every single watt that you're generating, now you have something that's, it's a perfect situation. Everything you produce all gets consumed, you're perfectly balanced. And now you have somebody that can come off immediately, which is like just generating extra capacity for the grid because they're able to shut down immediately. So the more mining you have, the more reason you have to generate excess. And now the more the more responsive they are when these events happen, you can immediately shut down and you have access to all of that extra energy now and you can transport it right to your consumers. Yeah, like what other industry will a business actively shut down making money 
for the hopes of freeing up hundreds of megawatts for used power. They like to say that they're wasting power, but if those mining farms weren't there, that power wouldn't be there as well. Right. They're not just going to have it sitting on the side waiting for a rainy day. So I think it's a perfect way to shut down with under, like in our personal work at Brains and the curtailment, our firmware, we can shut down your machine in less than 10 seconds and ramp it up. What other industry can do that? There isn't one. The other interesting thing is if you, we're talking mostly about kind of demand response and everything right now. So that, so there's a stress on the grid, time to turn off. Um, usually you're compensated to participate in those demand response programs year round. So you're an insurance policy, basically. Um, you're getting paid to be there, paid to be available. And when they say, hey, I need you, it's time to turn off. And you've been paid the entire year to be available. There's another interesting thing with ERCOT, too, where if you own the generation, when you're shutting off, if there's a peak moment like that, you can kind of arbitrage that, that electricity that you had right back to the grid and sell it through the peaks. So it's ERCOT's incredible. If you own generation, there's a huge arbitrage opportunity. So this is if you, um, let's say you have a hosting site, a data center, but you also have power generation there. It's also connected to the grid. So then you can sell the energy that you're not using back to the grid, not just get paid to or incentivized to curtail, but also... Even if you have a block of power, you can sell that back to the grid. Yeah. Yeah. If you're sitting behind the meter at maybe a renewable or, you know, solar, wind, anything, and you're sitting there behind the meter consuming, and then if you have the opportunity, maybe real time LMPs clear high, and then you want to go ahead and turn off and sell all that excess generation right back to the grid and generate that real time revenue. One thing I um, learned about when, at some point in my journey on Bitcoin mining was that. The, uh, at the time, well, I don't remember. I'm going to say this was at the time, but it was more energy. Electricity is just lost in transmission than Bitcoin has ever consumed. So it's a lot of energy, right? You can't. When I hear you talking about the matching the demand and supply of of a grid, um, right now there's a power plant, or I guess we're in Tennessee. Maybe there's a nuclear power plant that's functioning, producing electricity. If we don't use it, it's still being produced. Um, and if we need, like, there's no battery to put it into, right? So it's the constant flow of alternating current, right? And so um, that's one reason why I know off-grids become really popular. If there are these sites that have, um, there's a lot of stuff in upstate New York, where the old Rust Belt has a ton of electrical capacity from the from the factories, but they're, you know, too far from the, from the, um, the city centers that need the energy. So instead, you're looking for something else to do. Um, and then that's been a very... Uh, profitable and useful place to mine Bitcoin or theoretically anything else like a data center there, except there's very few people that live there that need, right. you know, to connect to that data center. So Bitcoin that, it's perfect. not even just old stuff either. It's new projects coming on. Like again, Texas, I'm sorry to keep going back to that. Um, I know the real UT is here. So, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, the new infrastructure they're putting in the new power generation, there's not enough transmission lines. So that that's a big issue as well. So even though, you're bringing, they're allocating all this capital and the, the infrastructure bill that was passed last year. Um, it's creating a lot of dollars, but there's not enough transmission lines to go through either. And the amount of time it'll take to get that through, it's almost like there's no point in even building out the, the power generation. That's where Bitcoin mining steps in and can fill that gap. And it, it, it's behind the meter for the most part, but it's a way to create a buyer for new projects that you normally would not build because you're not going to generate any revenue from it. So in that regard, that's another area where I think there's a lot of hypocrisy um, from the political world when it comes to, you know, 
the amount of power being used by the network is that this is a way to drive new innovation in renewable projects and build out build them out. Um, I'm not a big renewable guy. I'm I'm an I'm an oil and gas guy at heart, but um, I'm not opposed to. I'm a free market dude too. So and like, if you can build energy uh, generation somewhere, but the lo- transmission lines aren't there to bring it back to right. other buyers. It's a great point. I mean, if but a buyer can come to you, yes. Then maybe you'll build out the project, and then over as the transmission gets built, then then it ends up helping a bunch of other people as well. Bring jobs. There's a whole litany of reasons why it should be good. The whole thing about people arguing about this is crazy to me. Sorry. Yeah, um, I don't know. I want to think of questions on the software side because we've got two software. I was just going to actually jump into software. Get in here. Give give Tyler something too. So. the, the the importance here is all of this stuff that we're talking about rapid curtailment, um, you know, maybe selling back to the grid when things are high. Um, a lot of that needs to be enabled through software. Um, you know, we do automated curtailment today. We're working on some cool stuff with Sanga and CSD. Um, so there's there's a lot of the arbitrage opportunities we're talking about and everything. That's all software based um, you need to be able to turn on and off when it's economically there's an incentive to do it and the machines need to be able to perform really really well and without you know uh, and, and uh, bitmain what's miner is actually doing pretty good but when you look at bitmain you turn that thing on and it takes like two and a half minutes until it's got its consumption right back up if you're participating in some aggressive programs in ERCOT, you'll never pass so that's where you know, things like what brains are doing are very revolutionary too. Yeah, like a lot of the requirements from ERCOT that we see is we have to ramp down in under 10 seconds. And that's pretty easy for the most part. That's what people think, oh, you just have to shut down so the power is available. But to participate in these programs, you also have to worry about the ramp up. And that's where you have the most issues. And when you're on stock, like you said, Bitmain, it's trash. So it's, that's just their firmware? It takes a long time to boot up? Yeah, I mean, it's some trash version of CG Miner with no real innovation. Right, that they forked right? like five, eight years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we built our own operating system and it's a lot more efficient. And so now we are able to ramp it all up to full power consumption in that 10 second range. And you guys, by the way, not to, I know this was mentioned on the other panel briefly too, but your Brains OS has um, the, what, the prox, uh, the self proxy for SV2 already in there, Stratum V2, some, 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 some part yeah, of the yeah. implementation. Yeah, we have our own implementation implementation of SV2. And then let's talk about the proxy as well, because yeah. that's where most of my relation to off-grid mining is. Because a lot of these mines are out in stranded wells in the middle of nowhere, where, like you said, there's satellite or Starlink, not the best connection, but good enough. Well, we can set up our proxies for some of these miners and register data usage by 40%. So from our end, that's how we interact mostly with these off-grid miners. That's fascinating, the data efficiency required. Because, yeah, I mean, I guess LTE if it exists, but if not, then... You you are stuck with satellite or which is Star, Starlink two as a satellite right you're stuck with that um, so that efficiency is essential is, is there anyone else other than I, and I this might be a rhetorical question does anyone else make good custom firmware for for Bitcoin for the main Bitcoin miners I'm, I hate to ask you this because you're the head uh, of BD no this is my favorite question <laughs> because who has their own operating system this everyone just loves to create CG miners sprinkle their own little special right. whatever. You're still using another person's code, right? Don't you want to have an operating system that's built from the ground up by a team of trusted engineers that know what they're doing? CG Miner, I mean, it's great. It was open source. is a great place to start, but it's time to innovate and go a little further than that. Because it's been, I mean, years since like firmware or even, or certainly um, Stratum has been yeah. uh, developed at all. I mean, it's like we're using something from 2014 still. 
Well, yeah, I mean, Stratum was created by us as well, right? Yeah. So that's another thing where people are we're leading the pack and people are still following us as well. So like to answer your question, no, there is no other firmware that's better in my opinion. All right, so let's get back to a little bit to the grid. I think we have a few more minutes, right? Um, I guess let's say Justin's prediction about uh, everything will be behind the meter at the utility companies. I think very interesting. What other predictions do you have? If we had to look forward, let's you know pick a random number five years on grid or off grid. I mean, we're going to get like a major oil and gas producer, like with uh, yeah containers do, on a shipping rig on an oil rig. I, I do think so. Yeah, I do. Th- I do think you're going to see that, and it may not be in the U.S. necessarily, but there's going to be groups going that way. There's groups doing it already. I mean. Um, they just, they're so concerned about the optics. They already deal with a lot of stuff from the ESG front and they don't want to get wrapped up in an additional black eye in, 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 you know, the investment world. So, um, a lot of them are very cautious about that, but I I think that inevitably we're going to see in the next, yeah, four to five years, we're going to see some major players come out with some large scale mining operations that they use as a hedge against, you know, commodity pricing on the natural gas side. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree. I think moving forward, it will probably be a, you'll see a lot more behind the meter. Um, People owning generation will be, you know, if they're producing a bunch, they're going to try to consume it right there and mine as much as they can. Um, So, yeah, definitely bullish on behind behind the meter. I think so as well, because if you're not behind the meter, you only have as good as power and price as the people you trust or have agreements with. So if, Five years, someone else comes in and decides they want to do a sweeping change and be very ESG friendly and tax you or change whatever kind of deal you thought you had, then you can no longer mine at a profitable rate. One other thing, too, to add to that about the off-grid, um, and I'm, I'm going to give a plug to one of my other clients, but like Giga Energy, they own all the – you can vertically, vertically integrate a lot easier behind the meter um, or off-grid, however you want to look at it. Um, and owning a hard asset like a generator – you're able to finance off that a lot easier. It holds its value a lot easier. Banks will finance for it. it. Can be used for something else completely right. later. It's yeah. Right. So it's like that's a big deal, especially in the world we're living in right now. Um, it gives you a lot more flexibility to kind of you can pack up and move. You got access to more capital because you have collateral that is worth something. So very cool. All right. Well, let, let's wrap it there. We're going to take questions in a second. Uh, Justin, Dan, Tyler, thank you so much. <laughs>